I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about investing portfolios, what they are, how we think about ours and how they change. But first, let's start with our money wins and money losses. Do you have a money win, loss or both for us today, Anna? I have a both. I always have a both. (laughs) Nice. Um, I just recently sold my apartment in Canada. So I had an apartment that was mine. And when I moved to Australia, I ended up renting it out. And it was a huge headache when it came to tax time being a non-resident of Canada. So I sold it which is fantastic because I did sell it at a higher price than what I purchased it at. Yay, However, yay, yes. However, um, the CRA, which is the Canadian Revenue Agency, the equivalent of the ATO, is holding essentially all my money. So I have not seen much hit my bank account and I'm waiting for them to settle it on their end. Oh no. Why are they holding your money? What are they waiting for? Well, because I'm a non-resident, they want to confirm that I've actually paid all the applicable taxes. You pay a higher tax rate often when you don't live in the country and they just want to make sure that I'm not running off with the money and not paying any taxes and okay. <laughs> they don't know where I am. So I was told that it will take about three months and um, and then I will be happy to finish that part of my life, that chapter, close that chapter with that apartment and move awesome. on to new investments. Yeah. More simpler finances in one country, maybe. Yes. And what's your money win or loss or both? Uh, Money win. I've gotten so many good hotel deals on Agoda recently. Um, Just from booking lots of stuff through them, I got to Agoda Platinum and I recently booked a hotel in Sydney. It's on a Friday night in school holidays and it's a five-star hotel in the CBD for $175 a night, which I think is pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, money win there, but also money loss because I'm still spending lots of money to go to Sydney. 
but I love hotel deals. Get such a good dopamine rush from booking them. It does make you feel good knowing that you have to spend the money, but then you didn't have to spend the full amount. Yeah, knowing I got a nicer hotel for still a decent price because Sydney can be insane for hotels. Exactly. Firstly, let's start off with what is an investment? An investment is an asset or item acquired with the goal of generating income or appreciation. Appreciation is when a financial asset increases in value over time, such as a house. A house, for example, will hopefully increase in value over time, which is the appreciation. And if you rent it out, the rent will be the income. So shares also pay dividends, which is an income as well. So what actually is an investment portfolio? A portfolio is a collection of financial investments like stocks, bonds, commodities, and cash. And um, I said stocks, but we also say shares here in Australia. They're basically the same thing. Yeah, shares, equities as well to make it confusing. Yeah, all, all of the above, all of the jargon. So some people also include property, such as commercial or an investment property, or they also include their own home. So what's in your portfolio, Tash? I mainly think of my investment portfolio as shares. So I've got lots of ETFs, mostly from Vanguard and Beta shares, but I also have an investment property too and things like cash as well. Where do you actually keep your cash? Uh, I have just a regular savings account. Lots of people ask me why I don't keep it in an offset. Uh, My mortgage is still fixed for another almost two years, which is very exciting in this current interest rate um, environment. But yes, it's in a savings account at the moment. And then when I change my loan to a variable one in a few years, I'll hopefully get an offset account. Uh, Yes, I have an offset account and we keep our cash in there as well. We have uh, a half fixed and half variable rate. So we definitely use our offset. Yes. So we also have a a decent rate, but not for our whole mortgage. When does your fixed rate end? Oh, next year. Okay. A little bit more time. Yeah. So I'm going to have to adjust what what we do with our portfolio. So it'll be interesting to see, especially with a a little bit of an influx of a sold property in the mix. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Lots of changes happening. What's in your current investment portfolio? Yeah. So my current one has a lot of ETFs, um, both in Canada and in Australia. I think we've talked about that before. I do have some investments from my time living in, in Canada. They are quite similar. A lot of them are Vanguard. In Australia, I do have one share, one specific stock one of a company share. I used to work at. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I have a couple shares. I would say yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I have multiple shares in one company in Australia. So that's the only one that's not part of an ETF or a bucket of, of shares. Um, and that one fluctuates quite a lot because it's quite volatile having one company in your portfolio, or at least I see the fluctuation quite a bit. Yeah. Why did you get that one company? Was it part of your salary? Yeah, it was. We were all provided with options to buy shares in the company at a cheaper price. And that's exactly what happened. And then eventually when I left the company, I had to exercise them, which is, you know, get them into shares. You can then sell them or hold them. And I held some of them and that has fluctuated quite a bit since I've held it. So that's why I have that one share and kind of hoping it'll go up. It's the only time I'm really kind of timing the market because, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's it's like getting gifted something and you're like, when do I get rid of it? Or when do yeah. I keep it? Or what do I do with it? It's a, it's um, not my favorite way to think about my portfolio, but unfortunately that is a, my reality with my portfolio. Some of the other things that I have in my portfolio was an investment property in Canada, which I just sold. So that was something that I regularly tracked. I tracked um, when it went up in value or down. And that was something that we got noticed notified every year in Canada. And um, I also track my home value and how much mortgage I have. It's kind of more of my net worth tracking and less about my portfolio, but it is something that I also track overall. What else do you consider in an investment, Tash? 
We had a Get Rich Slow Club meetup in Sydney last week while I was there. And I met someone who actually had, well, who had made $130,000 from Pokemon cards, which isn't really a common investment. Yeah. So, so many different things that people consider investments as well. Like we were kind of talking about some people invest in Lego or art or other things. Do you kind of have other stuff like that in your investment portfolio? Yeah, I definitely have art. There's art that I purchased because I loved it, not because I really wanted it as an investment. But when I did purchase it, I purchased it with the thought that I could sell it at a higher price in the future. And sure enough, some of that artwork that I have has gone up in value quite a bit. So I know that I could sell it at a higher price. And I do track that, to be honest. I track what I purchased it at. And I do look at what that art is selling at oh, by the same artist. But I, um, it's not included in my net worth or anything, but it is something that I look at. Has it gone up in value, do you think? Have you noticed that? Yeah, it has. It absolutely oh, has. Exciting. I've got um, a friend who keeps buying cars that keep going up in value, which I find quite fun as well. Like he'll buy one and then sell it for a few thousand dollars later in a few months time and just keeps having that cycle of cars, which I just don't see happening myself. I'm like, oh, cars go down, but not always. Does he work on the car as well or just buys it with the hope that it's going to go up? I just think he strategically buys them. So he goes on Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree and finds people kind of underselling them, buys them, and then waits until he can resell them a little bit higher. Interesting. I know people do that with purses as well, like designer purses. Interesting. Yeah, that there's a huge secondhand market for that and they can be quite valuable, but I haven't looked into it. I think art is where I'm at (laughs) for now. Although Pokemon card sounds pretty lucrative. I just don't have the eye for art or Pokemon cards or even cars as well, trying to figure out what their value actually is and what you could sell them for. But it's really cool that other people can. Some people track their investments as part of their overall net worth number. Do you think your net worth is something that's important to track? So let me define what net worth is. Net worth is adding all the assets that you have and minusing any liabilities. So if you have shares and cash, that's all part of your assets. And if you have any liabilities such as hex debt or consumer debt, that would be part of your liabilities. Your home loan, credit card debt, all of that. Exactly. And then the number that you equal is your net worth. Um, I like to track my net worth because it's just interesting seeing that number go up, hopefully over time. Sometimes it does go down, especially if you hold one share in a company that might affect things. But nonetheless, I, I like to track it. I think it's really important to, to kind of see where my whole financial health is. However, it is not a part of who I am holistically, you know, like I, other things are much more important, such as my saving rate, how much I'm saving. Am I increasing my income over time? Am I, what are the things that I can actually do that are behaviorally are more important to me than actually tracking just what my net worth does? Cause it can fluctuate quite a bit with inflation, with, um, the economy and the stock market. And none of that is something that I can actually directly impact. What about you, Tash? Yeah, I definitely agree. Like it's fun for me to track, but it's not always helpful um, because not everything is inside my circle of control. So things like how much I actually put into investments, I can control. I can control my income. I can make more money, but I can't control that overall number that depends on stock market performance. So yes, it's fun, but it definitely isn't everything. And there's more important things to track in there. Yeah. Net worth is always really interesting, especially when you see it in the news. In 2019 to 2020, the average net worth for all Australian households was 1.04 million. Interesting. The median household had a net worth of $579,000 in 2019 to 2020 as well. Um, Both of these stats are from the Australian Bureau of Statistics or the ABS. 
So this figure captures the total value of assets such as real estate, shares, superannuation, and then deducts those liabilities such as credit card and home loans. It's just interesting to kind of see the differences between average and median. And I think that that's something that if you ever look at stats is really important to look at because you're, you're always going to have these rich, rich people and, you know, these people that might be in poverty and they kind of skew some of those statistics. Yeah. So the median number is a better representation of the overall population because it kind of accounts for those outliers in the, in the average or the, the mean. So how do you actually track your net worth? What do you include? Oh, I include, I think everything that we kind of talked about. So everything that I include in my portfolio is really what I track in my net worth. The only big difference that I track quite closely is my property and my mortgage. And also when I had my investment property, some funny things that I do as well is I have a big spreadsheet and I know how much my partner put into our property and how much I put into our property and how much we put into our offset. So I also calculate my percentage of that versus my partner's percentage, which makes me a little bit maybe pedantic, but I like knowing our separate. Yeah, we had our finances quite separate for a very long time. And it was only when we purchased a home together that we decided to put it together. But for me, who's really trying to achieve fire and a little bit further along my journey than my partner, I would like to know where I'm at so that when I can say, Hey, I paid half the house and I can, you know, and I've reached fire, I can now retire. Whereas my partner might have to keep working. So that's kind of the, <laughs> that's that. the way I think about it. Yeah. I also track each bank account and I also actually do have my artwork on that list, like the value of that artwork. I don't include it in my total network. Worth, but I do like to look at the value of, of art. Yeah. This is really interesting to hear about because I know when I've previously posted my net worth, there's been some discussion about what you should and shouldn't include, but it's really all super personal and it depends on you and what you find value in tracking yourself. Well, it, it goes back to that idea of like, is your house an investment? Oh, right? I love this question. Ooh, what are your thoughts? Oh, I think I can go both ways. So I can see why some people would see their house as an investment. So just my journey, I guess I bought an apartment and I did live in it for a year, but I did buy it with the purpose of it becoming an investment. So I bought it, got the first home buyer's grant, which was $10,000 in WA. I lived in it for a year and then I moved out and rented it. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But I made that purchase decision in a very investment mindset. I wanted to buy something that would go up in value and had a really good rental return, which it does. But the primary purpose of your home, the house that you live in, is to make money. And your home is often an, an emotional decision that won't generate an income. So it kind of goes both ways. It could be an investment, but you could also not consider it as an investment. I think some of the other things people don't often think about is the concentration risk 
of putting all of your money into one asset. So that increases the risk. The reason we even discuss this is because it's important to focus on spending less on your home so you can invest in other property or assets as well. Not because we don't want you to value your home or consider it an investment, but if you're putting all of your money into one thing that you can't sell or live off an income with, then that can be a little bit dangerous. It's interesting hearing your journey because when I purchased my property in Vancouver, it was going to be my primary home as well until I moved away and then it became an investment and I thought about it differently and looked at it differently. Up until recently, I thought maybe one day we can move back to that apartment or my kids could go to university in Canada. So I had an emotional attachment, which is quite different when you're looking in a, at investment properties. Often you're looking at just the numbers and the financial side, whereas there was an emotional feeling for me that I have for purchasing my family home that we currently live in and also that apartment because it was, wasn't was supposed to be an investment. So it is interesting looking at your home or a investment property and seeing how they kind of stack up against each other. There are different considerations that, that come into play between those two. Definitely. And how do you track your net worth? Um, I used to use lots of apps previously, but they never quite gave me exactly what I wanted. So I do use a spreadsheet and I sometimes just write it down. I do like pen and paper and just going through all of my bank accounts with a pen. Um, I haven't tracked it as much as I used to. I do check in and see how it is, but I don't track it religiously anymore. But I track things like my super investments, apartment equity. I do include my car as well. Um, and whatever savings I have as well. And I also have a little bit of crypto still, which I'm kind of trying to ignore. Oh, I also have very, very little crypto. Mm. <laughs> that is like so inconsequential. It's, yeah, you know, it's just less existing. than point zero, zero. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tiny amount. You know what I do track is I track my my FIRE number. So for those people who don't know, FIRE is financial independence, retire early. And the concept is that if you can save 25 times your expenses, there's a study that states that you would be able to retire um, off of that money and you would be able to live indefinitely on that amount. So what I track is actually how far along I am that equation, how many times my expenses and currently I'm around 11 times. So I could take 11 years off because I have 11 times my expenses. That's a really fun thing to measure, like knowing that you could have 11 whole years off. That's really cool. Yeah. And that number might change actually now that I sold my property, but it it is interesting because it, it just gives you another thing to look at. I feel like it's such a long journey sometimes. So it's nice to be able to check in and see that you have made progress and you could live for 11 years. Like that's really impressive. Well, sometimes it's people are like, oh, I'm 2% into my fire journey. You know, like it feels really low, but when you think of it in terms of the gain that you would get, like I can take this many years off or even this many months off, it's, um, it kind of changes your, your framing around it, I think at least. Yeah, it's great. I know previously you've mentioned savings rate as well. What is that? A savings rate is also another great thing to, to track if you're interested. So within that fire movement, the financial independence retire early movement, there's an idea of having a savings rate, which means that it's a percentage that you save of your income every month. And um, often, you know, people start with 5% that they save. And there's a lot of people within the FIRE community that can save upwards of 50%, so half of their income. Often, this comes with a certain amount of privilege, which is attributed to having a high income. So it might not be possible for everyone to achieve FIRE, given that the medium Australian employer earns around 65 k This is back in 2022. I find these average median numbers really interesting. So this is made up of $78,800 a year for full-time workers and $32,400 a year for part-time workers. That's why when you're hearing of people making 200K, it's, you know, that's a bit of an anomaly. That's not 
<laughs> it's not the majority of people. And often people who are talking about FIRE are people who are higher earners who can save 50%, 75% of their income because they are just making more money. So even though it can sound a little bit discouraging if you're not making upwards, you know, in the higher tax bracket, it's still tracking your finances in a way that works for you is most important in helping you achieve your own financial goals. Definitely. I know it can be really disheartening when you see people being like, oh, I've got an 80% savings rate. But if you're earning $500,000 a year, it's way easier to save 80% than it is if you're only making, not only, but if you're making 65,000 or less than that. So in talking about savings rate and net worth and so forth, how frequently do you actually check your portfolio? Oh, good question. I check maybe once a month at the moment, but when I first started, I checked every day, multiple times a day. I was always logging on and checking everything, but now I've kind of set up my systems. It all happens in the background and I'm more hands-off with it. And I've also accepted more like that the market fluctuates and I'm less bothered by it. So I feel less of a need to check it. When I was in Canada, I came across my old agenda planners that I had and I would track every week because I got paid every week. And it was something that I, you know, I had a very small amount of money, had a very low income, very little savings. I think I was putting aside, you know, a tiny, tiny amounts of money, but I was just so diligent at tracking it at that time. And I thought that that was really interesting. Now that I have my finances kind of organized, I know how much I spend every month. I usually try to once a month just do like an overview of of things as well. But um, I've gotten a little bit lazy and haven't done it as as well as I used to. (laughs) So I'm trying to get back into it. Life happens, you know. (laughs) I definitely feel the same as well. Like I used to track it. I had a notebook as well when I was younger and I would write down literally every single thing that I bought. But I think I got into a stage where everything was automated and worked really easily for me, which is great. But I think I've kind of gone the other way where things are a little bit more complex and I just don't want to track them in the same way anymore. But I definitely need to maybe have a few months where I'm back into it, tracking everything and just being more aware of it again, especially because I recently quit my job as well. So my income's a bit more all over the place. Well, it is interesting because we talked a lot about net worth and, and portfolios, but one of the things that I haven't been very good at tracking is my budget or how much I'm spending. And that's, and that's something that I used to also track diligently all the time. And in the last year, I think I may have mentioned that I, you know, bought, bought a house, moved in, bought a lot of new furniture. And I wanted to know what the total amount was that I spent for that year. And it was really mind blowing when you, Mm -hmm. when you're not tracking and all of a sudden you're like, I definitely need, you know, new pillows for the bed and you don't really need them, but you want them. And I allowed myself to buy the things that I wanted, but it was a shocker when I yeah. saw how much I spent. It's crazy how quickly all of this stuff adds up. Like you're like, oh, it's just a hundred dollars for a pillow here and there. And then you sit down and add it up and you're like, oh my God, where did all that come from? But the point was that I wanted to track it after the fact. So a whole year went by and I was like, let me run the numbers on what that was. And I found it extremely difficult to go back, even if I was using all the apps because they weren't giving me the information that I wanted. It was all of them were like future budgeting, but it was hard to go back and look at your expense tracking And had I maybe tracked monthly, it would have been a different story. Yeah, it would have been easier, but maybe I wouldn't have spent so much because you can only improve that what you track, right? Like it is really hard for you to make changes if you don't know what your baseline is. Yeah, I think it's a good note to make your finances simpler and not overcomplicated as well. Because now that I've got 
multiple credit cards to get points. That's all fun, but I don't track stuff as much because it's harder across multiple accounts. So is it really beneficial having credit card bonuses if I maybe am spending more and not actually looking after my finances in the same way? Um, we actually got a few questions on Instagram. So if you want to ask us stuff, definitely look out on our stories. I pop up question boxes sometimes, but one of them was, do you use a dividend reinvestment plan or do you manually buy stocks with dividends? What do you do, Tash? Um, I manually do it. I find dividend reinvestment plans, it's a bit harder at tax time and when you want to sell because you're buying or you're reinvesting those dividends at different costs all the time. And I also was changing my mind a lot as well. So I didn't want to lock those dividends away into a certain investment if I could just reinvest them myself. And I also just like seeing them pop up in my bank account. I find it quite fun when it's like, oh, look, I got $100 this month. I used to use a dividend reinvestment plan. I just thought it was easier said and forget. I didn't have to worry about it. However, I now do it manually as well because I don't want to invest in some of the same shares that I hold. So I've maybe changed my my investing strategy and I would rather get the cash and then invest in exactly what I want to invest in. So that's kind of how I've done it. Plus, to be honest, I also am enjoying the dopamine hit of getting, you know, getting some money hit my bank account, which I was missing out on for the past little while. So it's been it's been a lovely surprise. And also as well, the more dividends I earn, the more tax I'll have to pay because they're taxed whether you reinvest them or not. And now that I'm self-employed as well, I'm having to be a lot more mindful about tax because it's not being taken by my employer. So I want to keep a little bit of that money aside for dividend tax as well. Another question we got on Instagram was, what's the plan for the next few years? Another property or more shares? Very good question. Um, Probably no more property for me because I've just quit my job and I like the flexibility of shares. I was thinking about buying another investment property, um, but it'll take a little bit of time for me to get my income up for to be actually eligible for a loan. Interesting. Yeah. Another property is something that we've talked about now that I am got some cash from the property that I sold, but I really don't like holding property and I'm not a fan of being a landlord for various reasons, but it's also might be It also might be tax efficient to negative gear a property. So I need to run the numbers once I know exactly what the Canadian Tax Revenue Agency gives me. But right now, I think it's smashing down the mortgage, trying to invest and maybe do some debt recycling in the future. So um, stay, stay posted. Not sure what's happening on my end. Personal finance is personal. So how you track your portfolio will also be personal. There's no one way. Our actionable step for this week's episode, start tracking something, your net worth, spending or savings rate. Give it a go and see what works for you. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.